The Cincinnati Bengals have won a playoff game. No, I don't simply try to speak this into existence. I speak of reality. Here was a little bit of my reality when they finally pulled it off. Oh my God! Don't do that to me, fellas! T, turn around, I don't care. Take the knee, start the fucking party. I'm sorry, I swore. <laughs> you all right? Yeah, I won't cry with the camera on, so if you want to have... I definitely cried. 3 a.m. Coney starts right now. There are many, 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 many adult male who have struggled to cry in their lives. I'm not one of those. Sports gets me often. Um, but there are many, many others who who were moved to tears by Saturday afternoon's game. There was such emotion from that game. There was so much to be determined about who the Bengals were going to play. There's so much thoughts that I wanted to make sure I had organized that uh, we waited till now. Um. But we all celebrated it, right? I am one of the most glorious moments in Cincinnati sports history, right? One of the most amazing things we've ever been through, right? And, and it's just a playoff win. Kind of a weird feeling, right? You could kind of almost hear me in that painful video, um, which was that was the audio from it, for those of you listening. But the painful video of me celebrating, you could hear me go, it's over. It's done. And, and there was one analogy that kept popping into my head over and over and over again about what this feels like. What does this compare with in our lives? This playoff win, this thing, the first playoff win in 31 years. And, and this is really for anybody under the age of 30. Those of you that had the Super Bowls in the 80s and all that good stuff, you can have fun with those. I'm talking to everybody that has not been alive, which is a ton, a ton of Bengals fans that have not been alive for a playoff win until last Saturday's. It, it, it's this huge monumental moment, but it's not that big of a deal. It's kind of like your, your first kiss, right? And, and stay with me here. If, if we think about how big your first kiss is before you get it, compared to how big it is after you've had like, you know, I don't know, you're 18, 19, maybe you're like 25, whatever. And you've, you've been with dating a few people and you've had like hundreds and thousands of kisses, right? It's different. It's way different. The significance is very tiny. But for our lives, for that 13-year-old's lives, when you're waiting for your first kiss or when you're 15 or 16, whatever your first kiss happens, that's a big deal. Like, oh my God, I'm going to put my lips on somebody else's lips. Is this really going to happen? I wonder what that's going to feel like. I don't know what that feels like. I see everybody else doing it. It looks like they have a ton of fun. And that's where we were with Cincinnati Bengals playoff games and them winning them. I mean, we, 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 we imagined what it felt like. We thought about it. We were like, hmm, I, I can't wait till it. I, it must be the most wonderful thing in the world. It must be so indescribable, that feeling of, of that first playoff win, of that first kiss. And then it happens and you're like, wow, that was great. But your first thought isn't, man, it's over or that's the last kiss I ever want. It's okay. Hopefully, this is not the last one we're celebrating over the next few years. 
And that's what Saturday felt like to me. We got it out of the way. It's over with. It's done. The release is over. There's no more pressure on it. You don't have to deal with it with your friends or anything, right? You know, all that dumb middle school stuff, high school stuff we used to deal with. That's what the Bengals, we, we passed the first step, the very low bar that we have all set, that me here at the Coney, that Matt, that we all have set for this team, for this franchise, hell, for every sports team in the city. We have set one bar. Please, someone, dear God, pass this low bar of advancing around in the playoffs, and they did it. They finally did it. It's over, and now we can move on to bigger and better expectations, to higher aspirations, to a future that isn't so grim because we're so waiting for something that so many other teams accomplish every other year about. And it's it's just a big release. It's a big move forward moment. I, what would have happened had they lost is this team could have been saddled with the playoff curse. We would have been talking about it. It would have been in our head. It would have been an awful time over the next year. No matter how good the Bengals team would have been next year, they would have still had this playoff curse hanging around their neck. That was such a big win on Saturday afternoon just for the state of the franchise, for the fan base, for season ticket sales, for everybody's mental health, for the amount of fans that could travel on the road in the playoffs, for the loyalty that this group of Bengals will see from fan bases over the next few years. It is a game changer. Game changer what happened on Saturday, but yet, hopefully, just the beginning of something. All right, we want to talk about more about the game. Um, I want to preview Tennessee in this podcast a little bit and, and really kind of what are the Bengals' Super Bowl chances now because we can discuss this. We have the right to discuss this. They want a playoff game. We we don't get to have that segment of, oh, can the Bengals win the Super Bowl? And, and, you know, somebody from Browns Nation or Ravens Nation or Chargers Nation or whatever dumb nation that's not our nation, whoever comments is like, well, before you talk about a Super Bowl, why don't you worry about winning one playoff game? We don't have to deal with that anymore. We get to join the conversation with everybody else of, how do we win the Super Bowl now? Okay, playoff win over, low bar gone. How do we win the Super Bowl How do we get this whole thing done? And the Bengals have a much better chance than I think many people are giving them credit for. We will get to more of the breakdown of the final four teams and how this really is the best case scenario for the Bengals a little bit later in the show. But what I wanted to start with is there's going to be this idea in what's been said in the media from Zach Taylor, you know, from the team, that they weren't carrying the 31-year playoff curse with them on the field. That, that, that they didn't feel that weight. They, they didn't have that on their shoulders. Of course not. Oh, well, we know it's a big deal for the city and stuff, but that wasn't on our shoulders. I, I don't think that's true. I think that's just an absolute lie. I built, I built into the lie because I didn't want it to be true. But after the game, seeing how they played, some of the moments in the game, I really do think that the coaching staff and the players and whatever small percentage we want to give it, but I I don't think it was huge, but I think it was there that that playoff curse existed. And it certainly existed in the crowd. And I'm very happy that the Bengals had a lead throughout the game, kind of kept the angst out of the crowd so they could be a little more supportive. And, and those of you that went to the game, amazing job, super loud, incredible to watch from home. And all that chaos was going on. Jamar Chase dropped his first pass of the game. T. Higgins had a drop. You saw Zach Taylor get tight late. And you just wonder if 
man, where where did that calm come from? Because it didn't seem like it was their first time in the playoffs. Raiders were making a ton more mistakes. And, and we all know what the answer is. It, it's the guy that I haven't even mentioned his name through 10 minutes and 50 seconds of the podcast, which I'm pretty sure is a 3 a.m. Coney record. It's Joe Burrow. Out of all that chaos, everybody amped up. CJ Uzama on the post-game mic'd up, talking about 31 years. Drew Sample screaming at him, 31 years. Joe Mixon walking off the field. We broke a curse. Sam Hubbard, we broke a curse. It was on their mind. They had energy from it or nervous energy from it, however you want to state it. I think Zach Taylor with his play calling on the very last drive, instead of just letting Joe grip it and rip it and go get a first down and win the game, played a little conservative because he thought about how much the win meant how much he wanted it. He got a little tight. But Joe Burrow wasn't. The whole game, absolutely calm. Almost calmer than he is during the regular season. Almost as if, as everybody else's adrenaline skyrockets, his continues to stay steady. And this is Joe Burrow's number one trait, and we're about to see it in full force in the playoffs. And this is why the ceiling of how many championships this kid can win is completely dependent on how many of the times the Bengals can get him to the dance because this might become Joe Burrow might become one of the most clutch performers we've seen in the NFL because of a very rare trait. He has the trait of not having an elevated heart rate. And it's not just something I'm saying as a sports talk guy, like back when he was a kid in seventh, eighth grade, Matt phrase, he was on our show. He talked about this. When he played basketball, there was a sociology professor who was like, man, this kid is ridiculously clutch. It's like his blood pressure never rises. They did some stress tests on him. It really doesn't rise. He is the same type of response to stress as first responders often do. Very successful first responders, right? Firefighters, police officers, you know, people in the military, people that are very good at that job. They keep a nice, calm, steady heart rate, but also serial killers. And it was funny, Good Morning Football mentioned, um, Kyle Brandt mentioned that he looked like Dexter with the glasses and he's kind of got this really calm thing and it's and it's scary, like, dude, do you not have any emotion ever? Well, I mean, if you go look at this, this quote came from an ESPN article and it was a rumor all around Athens. It's, the sociology professor said he's got the same type of heart rate and, and reaction to stress that a serial killer would have. It's just steady, calm, no matter what's going on. Loudest crowd in Paul Brown Stadium history? Calm. First playoff game in NFL career? Calm. Entire team looking like they're they're feeling the curse a little bit. You know, there's a little bit of mistake here, mistake there. A little bit of angst. What's he? Calm. Fans feeling anxious. Loud as can be. Calm. He's calm. Calm through the whole thing. And being clutch in sports is not about elevating your performance. That is such a common misconception about, oh, how am I clutch? You know, I, I coach a lot, and I have kids ask me this all the time. How, how do I become more clutch? How do I make shots when the game's on the line? You know, how, how do I face that pressure? And the trick is to not elevate anything you're doing. The trick is to not try to put more into your craft, more energy, more adrenaline, more strength, or anything. It's really not that. The way to be clutch, especially when you're doing something that requires skill, like throwing a football or shooting a basketball or hitting a golf shot um, or swinging a baseball bat, right? Things that require hand-eye coordination and skill. It's about just being the same you've been all season in the clutchest moments because everybody else's heart rate is going to be up. 
Everybody else is going to be jacked. Everybody else is going to want to hit hard and fly around. So if you're the guy that can keep your head on straight, that can repeat your performance that you've worked on through the regular season, that can bring your normal game day performance into a high-pressure setting and keep your heart rate down and don't ride those waves of emotion, that's how you become a clutch performer. That's how you do it. It's not becoming a god when the game matters most. It's being yourself when the game matters the most because everybody else will be freaking out because it's natural. If I were on the field, I would have looked a lot more like Jimmy Garoppolo did this weekend than Joe Burrow did. Jimmy G was sweating profusely halfway through the first quarter, and I know it's a dome and it's 70 degrees, but he has sweat pouring off him. He's screaming. He's pumping his fists. He's running up and down the sideline. He's emotional with every single play, left and right. He's up and down. That, that's how I would be on an NFL sideline when I've got a playoff game to win and there's millions of dollars. That's certainly how I would be. But that's why I, I don't ever have a dream of being a quarterback, let alone one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. And that's why I think Jimmy G, he just doesn't have it, that thing, that feeling, that indescribable thing about Joe Burrow. It's that calm. It's that I've said so many words to describe it. It's it. And that's what it is. And we saw it in a playoff game this weekend. Already surpassed Andy Dalton's career passing touchdowns in the postseason. Absolutely ridiculous. He threw his first pass touchdown on his first drive. It took Andy till 2013 against the Chargers after two road losses to the Texans to throw his first passing touchdown. So it's just indescribable what he was able to pull off in his first playoff game, looking like a veteran, looking so calm, and being so pinpoint accurate. I mentioned how it's indescribable, and that brings me to the second real big thought I had coming from the weekend of why does Zach Taylor work for this team? Is it, oh, he's a great play caller. Well, I I don't know. Uh, Well, you know, he's a great leader of men. Well, you know, I think maybe, yeah, I think solid leader of men. I think he's a guy, but is he extraordinary at that? Well, no, I don't think so. Well, he's a great, you know, schemer. He really comes up with great stuff throughout the week. Uh, You know, how many scripted drives do the Bengals really score on? You know, I think this week, but it's been a problem all season. The scripted drives have never been necessarily perfect. Well, he's a big personnel guy. I think you give him a lot of credit with personnel. Hasn't been perfect. I mean, was Darius Phillips on the field returning punts after he had seemingly been ready to drop one the entire season? Yeah. Uh, Has Chris Evans not been involved enough? You know, has he been waiting for that moment? Maybe. But there's nothing here that's A+, plus, right? There's nothing here. What makes Zach Taylor a great coach? What makes Zach Taylor a coach that can win a Super Bowl? The only thing that's A+, plus, and why he is a great coach for this team, this quarterback, and this situation, is Zach Taylor has a really unique ability of vocalizing that indescribable feeling that Joe Burrow gives everybody. He's able to put it in the words. He's able to put it into slogans like the standard, the standard. That's, that's not Joe Burrow's phrase. He didn't come up with that. Joe's not cooking up phrases for the team. That's Zach Taylor's phrase, the standard. Okay. So I've got this quarterback and this is what Zach sat down again. I got, I got this quarterback who works harder than everybody, but he's a quiet guy. He's not going to demand everybody work harder. And frankly, we'd prefer that leadership style. It should come from within. Okay. What phrase kind of 
hits at everybody that what Joe Burrow is doing is not exemplary. Well, the standard. Joe is working at a championship standard. And when the team states that winning playoff games and winning these things, that is the standard of the work we put in in the offseason. You know, we worked for a championship. We worked for a playoff, but we worked for that. That's the standard of work that we continuously need to meet. That's just so perfect for Joe Burrow. Because it allows his work to be an example. It doesn't force him to be a vocal leader. It doesn't force him to be a leader that would make him feel like he's uncomfortable. It just says, hey, go work. You'll be the standard. You'll prove that that is the standard of work we expect from this organization. And it will uplift everybody's work, which will then uplift their play, which will uplift our record and uplift the standard here in Cincinnati. That's Zach Taylor's best skill. Vocalizing the indescribable feeling that Joe Burrow gives everybody. And that's going to help in free agency. That's going to help in recruiting future assistant coaches uh, for Zach Taylor. He is going to be able to communicate to the team, to everybody, what that feeling of Joe Burrow is and why it matters and how to apply it to a team. And I think that's a really special trait. Not a lot of guys have that trait to ability to be this humble, to take a step back and make, make everything about one guy because it's that guy. That took a lot of courage from Zach Taylor. It takes a lot of humility to do a lot of the things he's done. And that's what's going to make him a great coach for Joe Burrow. That's what's going to make him a Super Bowl winning coach one day is that he has the ability to listen, to react, to change his mind, and to vocalize how Joe Burrow makes everybody feel. And I just think that's so unbelievably important. Okay, let's look ahead. It was a nice, fun look back. Um, Those are just my big, giant thoughts from the game. Um, and I know that they're, they're larger general thoughts, but that game was just needed to be won. I, I'm not going to sit here and say, and, and we all listen to all these podcasts, and I know you watch, read the box score and, and watch recaps and stuff. It was a thrilling game. Um, I do want to touch on the controversy a bit from the game before we look ahead, though. Um, the inadvertent whistle, BS. That's being that's flying out there. I mean, this just has to be one of the most ridiculous things in sports. It's it, it nails one of my main pet peeves, which is people who complain about the refs. I, as a guy that's coached at the youth level, a guy that's played various sports across multiple levels of multiple states, and and just it's just the worst thing. It's the worst, worst, worst thing in sports. If you're a parent, like if you're a parent or if you're a coach and you allow a kid to walk away from the game and say, we lost because of the refs, you are failing. You are failing, immeasurably failing. I mean, unbelievably failing. There is no sporting event in the history of the world that was determined by the officials. Well, what about Saints-Rams, that P.I.? Yeah, there was an overtime period after that. Plays happened after that. Plays happened before that. No matter how impactful a penalty or a decision by an official in any sport, it will still be less than 2% of the actual outcome of the game. And that's that's the lesson that needs to be taught, okay? So, somehow, despite this understanding 
from like 90% of people that no matter how bad a call, you still have an opportunity to win the game, undoubtedly. And we are talking about after the first playoff win in 31 years for a franchise, we are really sitting here and in the national media discussing the fact that a ref coughed or sneezed or I don't know what the hell he was doing, but he blew the whistle when the ball was two feet away from a receiver's hands and you want him to disallow that because of the rule? Well, then this is where a Raiders fan will come in. Well, rules are rules are rules are rules are rules are rules. Yeah, I mean, you weren't that way when it was the tuck rule, though. Am I right, guys? You weren't exactly the rules are rules guy. Where'd you go, Raiders fans? Back in 2002, the last time you were in the postseason, you complained about a call then. Rules are rules. Rules are rules. Screw your rules. That's a dumb rule. And that official didn't mean to blow his whistle, right? He didn't mean to blow it at all. And it's just, it's so ridiculous that we're getting lost in this and that I'm spending any time on it at all. But here's the wrong perspective. And here's the perspective I want everybody to take when it comes to this inadvertent whistle between the Raiders and the Bengals. Take this perspective. Imagine if the officials had made the correct by-the-book call, which is, hey, we accidentally blew that whistle just before the ball hit the receiver's hands. Therefore, we can't assume it was a catch, so we need to replay the down. So you want this officiating crew at the end of the first half, again, in a stadium that has not experienced a playoff win, literally the stadium built in the early 2000s, Every fan there never seen a playoff win in the stadium. Half the fans there probably have never seen a playoff win in person. I would even wager, say, 60-70% of the crowd. It's an angsty crowd. You want those officials to, to gather up, get on the mic, go to midfield, and say, Sorry, ladies and gentlemen. There was an inadvertent whistle just before the ball was caught. Therefore, no touchdown on the play, and we are replaying the down. You want them to go out and say, are you out of your mind? Are you out of your mind? Seriously, anybody out there, put yourself in that official shoes and imagine yourself doing the same thing. When one of your friends, because these guys know each other at least, one of your colleagues, sure, maybe not a friend, one of your colleagues looks at you and goes, dude, I really screwed up. I really, really screwed up. I did not mean to blow that whistle. That was a bad call. He definitely wasn't out of bounds. This is a huge mess up. What would you do if you were the head official? Well, sorry, dude, We're it's by the book, so I'm going to make you the most hated figure in the history of Cincinnati sports. That's what I'm going to do to you. By That that would be insane. Nobody, nobody listening to this and nobody complaining about it on the national media would ever do that, would ever do that if they were actually in those official shoes. Change that call. You out of your mind? You out of your mind? And everybody's acting like it stole the game. It would have just been a replay of third and four. Which, like, it's Joe Burrow. You don't think third and four, he could get it again? Like, you watch the rest of the game. He levitated out of bounds to throw a touchdown pass. It's it's third and four. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't immediately make it a field goal. You got to replay the down. So you're assuming so much if you're a Raiders fan 
And the people out there, well, it was a seven-point game, and that was a touchdown. Well, you know, usually you would say it's a four-point difference because you assume that there's a field goal there. So it's not even a seven-point difference. So it doesn't even actually make up the difference in the game. It doesn't even make up the difference enough that the Raiders kick a field goal to take a lead. It would only be a field goal on a fourth down to send it to overtime if you really want to take it that far. But this is the slippery slope argument. Here's the thing we're assuming. Bengals replay third down and four. What if they run for five yards, run some clock? Now guess what? Raiders don't get to go down the field and make the game 2013 at halftime. How about them apples, Raiders fans? How about that? Well, you didn't think of that, did you? The fact that they gave you that touchdown actually led to your ensuing touchdown drive to make the game 2013. So replay the down third and four, sure. Maybe Joe Burrow scrambles, slides, takes the clock. We take a 26 lead into halftime, come out, make it 27-6, and we just blow your butt all the way away. Like That's totally possible, too, that that could have happened. So just this unbelievable, unbelievable thing that we all knew was going to happen, which is everybody trying to take credit away from the Bengals because the Raiders got screwed by the refs again. Shut up. Nobody liked when you complained about the tuck rule. And I swear to God, if Joe Burrow goes and wins the Super Bowl this year and I hear something about an inadvertent whistle, I'm going to lose it. Absolutely lose it. You know, Ugh. anyway, I don't really have any, any, any Raiders fans that are enemies of mine. So I don't want to say the mad jokes that I have about the Raiders. So I won't, I won't, I won't say them. Uh, let's look ahead a little bit here at the end of the show. I just had to rant about the whistle. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. Nobody would do that. Nobody would say, oh, wow, Raiders-Bengals playoff game. My buddy here just blew the whistle early. Let me take a touchdown off the board. Yeah, let me say that to this crowd of 70,000 people. That definitely will make this game a safe environment for everybody. That's definitely the thing we should do here, right? Well, yeah, it's the rule in the rule book, guy. So I guess we have to follow the rule to the exact T, no matter the circumstances or the extenuating, you know, everything around you. Oh, so all you guys go exactly 70 miles per hour on the freeway too, right? You go exactly 70. Oh, oh no, you don't? Oh, you, when you're trying to pass them, you go like 77? Wow. Oh, so you don't follow a rule to the T? It, it, it's not the end of the world. It's, it's the worst complaint I've ever heard. This is the best case scenario right now for the Bengals, though, if we want to talk Super Bowl. We talk Super Bowl five minutes. Matt and I will get in this later this week. Max and I may even have a podcast to preview Tennessee. Vegas was 23rd in the simple rating system, which is a pro football reference way of taking like point differential and strength of schedule to really rank the teams, not counting their record. So the Raiders are 23rd in SRS. So they were pretty lucky to make the playoffs. Uh, the Titans, so you, you get, that's actually the easiest playoff game the Bengals have ever won in terms of SRS, where they were ranked in the league. Mostly it's always been a top 20 team. So you get lucky with the Raiders. Now you get to face a Tennessee team who can stop the run and run the football but they can't really stop the pass and they haven't faced a great quarterback defensively in a while. So this will be a little bit different for them. Um, And that's just the best case scenario for Cincinnati. Give Zach Taylor zero option to take it out of Joe Burrow's hands. Say, Hey, it would actually be a bad plan to give it to Joe Mixon. It would be a great plan to attack the weakness of Tennessee, which is their pass defense. So you have, Strength on weakness for the Cincinnati Bengals. Then you turn around the other side, Derrick Henry. Oh, Derrick Henry's back off a bye. First, he's coming off an injury. Second, the Bengals from last year, the four-win Bengals, did a pretty good job of shutting down Derrick Henry. That was without DJ Reader, who'll be out there. 
And third, the Bengals' strength all year has been at least being decent in run defense. Even if they're not great, they've been at least decent. There hasn't been a single game where you're like, man, their run defense is just dreadful. The only time I really thought that was the first half against Jacksonville. I said, man, this is a bad run defense. Maybe against Cleveland with some of the big runs, but even then, I I wasn't like, this is a really bad run defense. So I'm not terrified of Derrick Henry having 250 yards and wrecking the game. To me, that's best case scenario. Out of the three other, the three potential matchups you have, Kansas City, Buffalo, Tennessee, there is no doubt, no doubt that Tennessee was the best draw. Add in another fact to help your case, Tennessee, this is the third time that they've had the bye as a franchise. They lost at home in the divisional round the first two times they had a bye. So this is a little bit of a bugaboo for their franchise as well to get this bye, to have the momentum, and then they usually lose at home. So you've got all this rolling for you, plus you played better on the road this year. You've got a young team that's going to be better when they're doubted. I'm already hearing everybody say, well, this looks like the end of the road for the Bengals. What a great story for the year. And you've got all this stacking up. It's the best case scenario. You want to talk about Bengals Super Bowl run. This is the best case scenario. Because then you move forward. Okay, let's, if they win against the Titans, obviously that's assumed um, in in this theoretical uh, best case scenario. They obviously got to win. Burrow, Mahomes, Allen, right now in my eyes, are are on a cloud by themselves in the NFL with, with Brady and Rodgers. It's just those five right now are just, they're unbelievable. They're better than everybody else, and they're better in their each unique way. However they get to that tier above everybody else, they are there. They are the game changers that can win you a game. Even though I think Joe Burrow is better than I think he's the best quarterback in the league because of his mobility, because, and I love Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, but they're 39, 44. I'll take the 25-year-old. Thank you very much. I mean, that would be the case all through NFL history. So why wouldn't it be the case now? I think Joe Burrow can be on Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady level in terms of a career scope, and Joe Burrow's 25. It's like if Aaron Rodgers were 25, it's like, would you take 25-year-old Aaron Rodgers or 39-year-old Aaron Rodgers? Maybe it's an argument, maybe you talk about smarter, but I'll take the 25-year-old guy. But even if you take Burrow, or if your favorite is Mahomes, or if your favorite is Allen, or if your favorite is Brady or Rodgers, in the AFC example, though, with Burrow, Mahomes, Allen, even if you pick one, you cannot determinately say 1,000% that they're better and that they're multitudes better. They're only slightly better than each other. However you want to rank them, they're only going to be slightly better with each other. They're going to be in the same universe. Well, the fact that those three guys are in the same universe and we drew the game where we don't have to play the other two guys, that's the best case scenario. Let let them, because Mahomes or Allen, whoever comes out of there, if the Bengals are able to win, they're going to have to go through the other two quarterbacks that we consider elite in the AFC. They have to. So Mahomes would have to beat Allen, then Burrow. Allen would have to beat Mahomes and then Burrow. Where Burrow's just got to beat Tannehill, and then upset Mahomes or Allen on the road. That, to me, just seems a more likely path when you talk about quarterbacks, when you talk about the teams. I just think the Bengals are a better team than the Titans. We go through the the matchups. I went through and kind of judged all four AFC teams in terms of their skill position players and ranked them, and then I gave them a score. A lower score means a better team, right? I did quarterback, running back, wide receiver, all the way through. Cincinnati is better at wide receiver, tight end, D-line, defensive back, and special teams 
than Tennessee. I gave Tennessee a better head coach and a better simple rating system. I gave Cincinnati the better quarterback, obviously. Um, But I didn't even include quarterback in the tally, and Cincinnati actually scores lower than Tennessee. Like, they're a better team, and I haven't even counted Joe Burrow yet. I, I think that that's really there. Tennessee defense has not looked impressive. A Bayard might be their best player on the back end, but is there anybody else there? Uh, their secondaries had holes in it all year, been torn up by some good quarterbacks. Their run defense is great, but their pass rush isn't going to kill you like the Raiders will. Their run defense is better than the Raiders, that's for sure. So they're a more disciplined defense, a smarter defense, but are they more talented on the defensive front than Oakland was? I'm not sure about that. Their offensive line in Tennessee ain't necessarily great. It's right there with the Bengals for some two of the worst offensive lines left in the playoffs. You look at running back, I mean, I gave that to Derrick Henry, but Derrick Henry's coming off an injury. And Joe Mixon's been banged up all year, so that's that can be more of a toss-up than you think. And I, again, I'm not even talking about Joe Burrow and Ryan Tannehill. I'm talking about the running backs, wide receivers, the tight ends, right? The, the other guys on the team, the other 21. And then you go to the quarterback matchup, the matchup that actually matters when you're picking NFL games. And I think Joe Burrow has is better than Ryan Tannehill could ever dream of being. Like, I think Ryan Tannehill has dreams about how good he could be. And yet, I don't think those dreams even match what Joe Burrow currently is as a quarterback. And I like Ryan. I think he's athletic. I think he's got a pretty good arm. Sometimes he throws a ball and you're like, wow, that is some talent from Ryan Tannehill. But I want this game to be jam up Derrick Henry, Dare Ryan Tannehill to make A.J. Brown and Julio Jones make contested catches when he has to put the ball in perfect spots. And, and, and dare him. Say, hey, we're going to dare that our quarterback is going to throw 40 times and have a better performance than your quarterback who's going to throw 30 to 35 times. And that's a great bet. You're going to win that bet all the time. If you're the Bengals and you can make that game about this, about the quarterbacks, not about the running backs, not about the defenses, you can make this game truly about the quarterbacks, which lucky for the Bengals, 80% of NFL games are, you've got a, not only a chance to win, I think you should win the game. I think if it were in Cincinnati, you'd be three-point favorites. And, and, and that's the best case scenario. Because this team is so young and would have so much momentum, the Chiefs and Bills are going to be a knock in a knockout, drag out, unbelievable to-the-end fight. And you get the that team coming out of that, a, a game where they'll have in their head that this is the AFC championship. If you're able to beat Tennessee, I, I think they'll be able to beat them fairly, not dramatically, if they're able to beat them. I mean, there's a world that Tennessee is really ready out of the bye and Mike Vrabel, and I get that. I know the world exists that the Bengals get eliminated this weekend. But if you're able to beat Tennessee, you're going to be, I bet, a little healthier, a little fresher. You're going to have an extra day to kind of survey the scene a little bit with Buffalo and Kansas City, and you'll be more prepared to pull an upset on the road. Way more prepared. And and with this team being so young and so built on momentum, would you even pick against him at that point? Joe Burrow in an AFC championship game, would you pick against him? I don't think any Cincinnatian picks against him. I don't think a lot of people that have watched him play all year pick against him. He's been that good in the clutch. And especially if he goes out and beats Tennessee, has 350 yards, something crazy, and you're like, this guy's unstoppable. Absolutely unstoppable. That's who you would ride with to the Super Bowl.
And, and this this path exists. This isn't a this isn't a crazy path. I am not a crazy fan. I predicted nine and eight before the year on the Cincy Chronicle. I've had I've had podcasts on here. You can go back and find them of of basically wanting Mike Brown to just leave the country and never come back. I have been critical of this team. I have been negative on this team. I have not necessarily been the bringer of joy, the bringer of hope, the bringer of good news. But this is a good matchup. And the Super Bowl, as we hear the sirens in the background, I don't know if you heard that, but the Super Bowl is a possibility. So much so that if somebody traveled from the future and said Joe Burrow won the Super Bowl, you wouldn't, I wouldn't even blink at him, man. I wouldn't even blink, him at, blink at him at this point. I'd be happy. I'd kind of be pissed that he told me the ending, but I wouldn't blink. I wouldn't go, wow, already? Really? Because think about it. Player with a 108 passer rating, 70% completion percentage, and the highest yards per attempt in the league wins the Super Bowl. Oh, oh wait, nothing about that sentence was crazy at all. The hottest quarterback in the league ended up winning the Super Bowl. Oh, that, that's not a crazy sentence either. You just start looking for the crazy sentences. Third-year head coach wins the Super Bowl. Oh, that's, that's not a crazy sentence either. The Cincinnati Bengals won the Super Bowl. That's the only crazy sentence there. And it's only crazy because they haven't yet. It was crazy in 2015 when you said the Philadelphia Eagles will win the Super Bowl. That was crazy. Right? The Patriots the first time with Tom Brady. That was crazy. They had been to a couple. Really? They're going to win the Super Bowl? The Patriots? Now they got six. We're in for a fun one, guys. A fun time in the city of Cincinnati and everywhere else in the country that they root for the Bengals, which, by the way, here in the Windy City in Chicago, everywhere, they're coming out. I knew they were here. They just have been keeping their stuff inside. We got a house decked out just down the street, Bengals stuff everywhere. Been a ton of fun. I had a ton of thoughts to get out. I know I rambled a bit. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, Make sure you follow me on TikTok if you got a TikTok. We're, we're doing a bunch of TikTok now. TikTok's fun. Uh, so join us on there for some fun videos and maybe some clips from this exact show. Also, shout out at the end of the show. If you're still here with us, that means you really love us, which means you'll really love another podcast that I was able to do called The Greatest Games Never Played. Just look them up on Twitter. They should have um, tomorrow when I post this, they should have uh, a recap of... The Cincinnati playoff curse. I did a podcast before the curse was even broken about how the Bengals and Reds' time in Cincinnati and the building of the stadiums could have been different through the 2000s and educated a few Philadelphia and other fan bases about what it's like to be a Cincinnati Bengals fan. I think you guys would really enjoy that one. So check that out. That's the greatest games never played. All right, I'm going to get out of here. I've been talking too long, but it's been fun. The Bengals won a playoff game. The Bengals won a playoff game. A sentence I wasn't sure I'd ever say, but now that I've said it, don't make it the last. Hootay, baby.